We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. Hello, listeners. Thanks for checking out this episode of Home Where You Belong. I hope you find it interesting and helpful. As a quick reminder, the content of the podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. All of us are unique, so please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Now, on with today's show. With over a decade of combined experience as a licensed psychotherapist, firefighter, business owner, and mindset coach, Vin Infante has learned a few things about what it truly takes to own your life. After experiencing years of crippling anxiety, panic attacks, and deep suicidal depression, Vin was living in a state of victimhood. Eventually, Vin realized the negative impact of these limiting beliefs and began to create mental shifts. He identified how to own more of his life, becoming someone who created life instead of someone being dragged through it. Today, the psychotherapist and master mindset coach shares his unique blend of experience and expertise with others, helping clients achieve mastery over mindsets and live a more aligned, powerful life. Named a top coach to follow in 2022 by International Business Times, Vin has also been featured in Forbes, New York Weekly, and on Entrepreneur Magazine's Action and Ambition podcast. He holds a Master of Social Work from Hunter College and a Bachelor's Degree in Psychology from City University of New York. He's a licensed Master Social Worker through the New York State Education Department and Master Life Coach, certified by Tony Robbins Official Training School. Well, Vin, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I really appreciate you joining us on today's program. Thanks, Chip. I think you mean welcome back, but we'll we'll, well leave it there. okay. <laughs> you're you're gonna call me out, I guess. I guess I'll explain that to everyone. Uh old man here uh did like the uh number one error in podcasting 101, which is that it's really important to push the record button. So uh we had a great interview. This one's gonna be even better, but the first one, um I ended it, was going through some of my notes and stuff and starting to get it together and and then went to get the file and realized there's no file. So I had to own up. So Vin was very gracious. He agreed to come back. So thank you for that. <laughs> but um, I'm not going to waste any more time because I don't want to have any more issues here. So I want to <laughs> jump into it. You've got a really interesting story and uh, do some really interesting work that I think is important. So let's start out, if you don't mind, just... Uh, telling folks a little bit about you, maybe whatever you're willing, maybe where you grew up and uh, just a little bit about yourself. Who is Vin Infante? Sure. Well, it's good to be back home. So let's <laughs> start with that. And then I am a master mindset coach and a psychotherapist. I do a combination of therapy, mentoring, and coaching when working with clients. I grew up in New York. I'm still here. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> and i i had you're, you're not on the chamber life. you're not on the chamber of commerce i can tell already no no i i <laughs> i i don't get all of uh the insider trading info so okay keep going <laughs> keep going 
So I've been here for a while. Um, I built my life here and I've dealt with a lot of adversity in my life. I've worked in mental health for over 13 years. I've worked with over, I guess, a thousand people at this point. And I found that psychotherapy as a whole um, is something that I stopped believing in. I think that the system, at least to me, the system looked like it was just a, it's just a good business model. And that's when I started getting really disenfranchised with psychotherapy. And that's actually why I started creating my own thing where, like I said before, it's this combination of therapy and coaching, because I believe that there's a lot of power in combining the two modalities. And as far as I know, like 99.99% of people aren't able to do that or even bothering to try and do that. So I really just created a service that I thought could really benefit people in a different way. And I'm on a mission to impact a billion lives and hopefully help, well, a billion people <laughs> live more positively and, and live in a better state. That's a great goal. Um, nothing um, nothing lacking in ambition there, but it's definitely something to motivate you. And it's a great goal to have. I, I want to spend most of the time talking about kind of your approach, what you do, uh, how you help people overcome adversity, kind of shift their mindsets and things like that. But maybe um, just so people kind of know that you've experienced some r- rough times or tough times in your life. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, what that time was like, and then what kind of helped you finally begin to move out of that space? Sure. So I was diagnosed formally by a therapist to have depression, anxiety, and panic disorder. I struggled a lot with suicidal ideation and I would say mild self-harm. Like I didn't really do anything too crazy. I just kind of do a few like cuts on the shoulder. You know, it's interesting, right? Chip, I don't know if you've ever seen probably like the people with the cuts on their wrists, right? Because that's self-harm, right? See, I always thought about that though. (laughs) It's like, even though I'm hurting myself, I I don't want people to notice. I just cut myself on the shoulder so that nobody would like. Not something you wanted to share, right? You just want to keep that to yourself. Right. And and so it's interesting, too, because uh, there's a few things I learned about self-harm from retrospectively looking back and doing some introspection, right? It's like self-harm is an extension of people attempting to gain control over the pain they feel. Right. Right. It's like, I feel crappy. I'm tired of feeling crappy. I want to take the pain into my own hands and so help self-harm. Now, interestingly enough as well, there's also, I mean, like myself, right? I put it on my shoulder because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. A lot of the times when people are doing it, it is because they're trying to get someone to notice the suffering that they're going through. It's like a cry cry for help kind of sometimes. Correct. Yeah. And so it it is very interesting. Like there, you know, and and we could get into the nuances of mental health all day, but I just wanted to share that with, with the audience in case like, Hey, if you ever notice anything on somebody's you know wrist, maybe even their legs, you you might want to ask them about it depending on, you know, where they're at in life. Right. Sure. Um, but you, you know, you never know. Somebody might need your help. Somebody might need, somebody might need a, a, a person to lend an ear. So just wanted Absolutely. to share that from the heart. <laughs> no, I appreciate you sharing that. I was a crisis counselor for a year on a suicide hotline. So I dealt with a lot of people who were involved in, in, you know, experience, experimenting with self-harm, you know, looking for some kind of release, or as you said, sometimes a cry for help. So, um, yeah. So, okay. So you, obviously went through some dark times, um, depression, Mm -hmm. suicide, suicidal ideation, you know, did you kind of hit a bottom or what, what happened to kind of start moving you out of that space? So I'll do my best to give the abridged version. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. I'm sure. 
No, of course. And, and, and it, it was a very long process. And I, and I, I believe it's still actually a work in process. Like I'm still every day, I'm still trying to better myself. It's, 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 it's not something that ends, right? It's, it's like you gain a better, you gain a better perspective for anyone who's a gamer out there. They might also understand, like, even though you've leveled up in the game, you, you the game isn't over. There's still more to play, right? There's more, sure. there's more areas to explore. There's more things to do. Like, just because you've hit a goal in the game doesn't mean the game's over. And that's kind of how I see life. Life is a lot like a video game because you're constantly trying to level up. You're constantly facing new adversities, new battles, new, you know, new issues that come up. And sometimes you're not ready. You know, sometimes just like in a game, you you go and you jump the level too quick and then you get beat and you got to be like, oh, damn, maybe I should go back and, and do some other things and then come back here and try and do this. Sure. And so it, it's funny because there is a lot of parallels and gaming was actually one of the biggest things that I clung to as a kid. Hmm. So gaming has um, I talk about it a lot in my coaching because it's it's something that's really relatable, at least the way I see life and gaming. And it's something that also helped me. Was it kind of like a, a refuge or distraction or or how would you explain that? So here's the really cool part about it. Um, for anyone who's never heard of this term and Chip, maybe you have or haven't, it is, it is, <laughs> his man's already counting himself out. So. Well, my, my video, my video experience stopped with Pong and Pac-Man. So, you know, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to be the gamer guy, but, <laughs> but go ahead. I want to hear it. So, so there's this term, the short version, the acronym is called MMORPG. The long version. Yeah. Chip just turned his head for anyone. <laughs> like, what? The, the, the long version is massive multiplayer online role-playing game. What that means is, it's exactly as it sounds, massive multiplayer online, tons of people, hundreds, thousands of people, okay, maybe even millions of people, role-playing game. So role-playing is you assume an identity Character, right, yeah. of someone else. And so I would play, the, the name of the game that I played by choice was called World of Warcraft. And in World of Warcraft, my character was a paladin. So a paladin is a really cool character because in the in the fantasy world, what he is, is he's basically the combination of a warrior and a priest combined. So he's a holy warrior. He stands for defending, defending good, defending the the weak and, and fighting for what's right and, you know, being righteous, essentially. <laughs> and that was my favorite character. And that was also my favorite person to be, because in real life, I was depressed. I was bullied. I was sad. I had nothing going for me. I felt weak, right? I was a little bit out of shape. I got picked on by the bigger kids, like the football players. So why wouldn't I want to go into a video game and be someone that I wished I could be? Because I couldn't do it in real life. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's where a lot of my addiction to video games started because, of, well, two things. One is I'm extremely passionate about history. I mm. love medieval history. I love knights and castles and armor. And I used to literally, if anyone remembers those book fairs, I would always get the books on like medieval history and all that cool stuff. I would read about castles and dungeons and, and all that, all that really interesting stuff. And so playing these video games would essentially transport me to that realm and then get me out of reality. And so it became such a great escape, but it also became very addicting because I liked the world of gaming way more than real life. And on Saturdays, if I could, I would play for like 18 hours hours a day oh my gosh you know i would just spend the whole day gaming and then i'd sleep for four hours and i'd try to do it again sunday it sounds like you were still struggling with depression and 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 challenges How, tell me about that kind of 
aha moment or process of kind of how yeah. you started to move, to move on or not move on, but better deal with it, I guess. Yeah. So one of the things that I did was as I was transitioning from high school to college, I was really in a place where I was trying to reinvent myself and it didn't work too well. Like it worked, but it didn't much like gaming. Gaming was great, but it wasn't <laughs> It's a distraction. Yeah, it's exactly it. It's and even further than that, even deeper than that, it's a false reality. Hmm. And so what I wound up doing was going from high school to college. I changed all my college transcript. I wrote in the name Vincenzo instead of Vincent. And okay. why I did that was because I was trying to create a different version of myself. I didn't okay. like Vincent. Vincent got bullied and was weak and nobody liked him. And he was awkward and he had no friends and he was thrown in trash cans. And so we didn't want to be Vincent anymore. There was no. nothing good about him. Not right? fun. Right. And, and another thing is, is that as Vincent, I would take things personally. You know, when you're getting bullied, one of the biggest and worst things you could do to make yourself a victim is say that you're getting bullied because you're whoever you are, like I did. Well, I'm, they're bullying me because I'm Finn. It's like, no, they're bullying you because the kid's a jerk. <laughs> Not only is the kid the jerk, kid probably is like beat by his dad or is, has, it, has issues himself. Yeah, or herself. Exactly. Yeah. And so we're we're looking at it in the wrong lens. And that's what's putting us in a state of victimhood, or at least that's what did it for me. So as I attempted to change myself, I did this name change and I went to college and it worked to a degree. I started working out. I grew a beard. I went to a, I went to a Catholic school. So you, you couldn't have a beard. You had to be clean shaven. So okay. I grew out a beard. That was a big difference for me. Changed up my hair a little bit, started buying different clothes, started working out, like taking more ownership over my life. And that worked because guys started to want to become my friends. Girls started becoming interested in me. I, I started taking school more seriously. Like I graduated high school to 60, man. My, I say, sorry, 66. I got accepted to one college. It was my local community college. And that was not opportune for me, right? I did not go into college in the bed. In fact, I started early, I think, because I had a remedial class to take. I can't even remember, but mm. it, it wasn't, it wasn't great going into college. In college, things did start changing. I worked two jobs. I got a job as a mental health worker and a personal trainer. I took school very seriously. I was taking, uh, you know, hard subjects and studying for psych. I graduated in Psych High National Honor Society. I had a high like 3.8 psych GPA. I pretty, I, I was a lead presenter for the undergrad psych conference on a drug research study we did. And uh, I got accepted into every master's program I applied for after that. And so things were really looking great, but my mental health was still pretty down. Because there was always that feeling of like, you know, you're still that loser. Yeah. You know, you're still, I, I lacked confidence. I was insecure. I was still anxious. And there would be times where I was spiraling. And going into my master's program, things weren't any better. I actually was getting even worse. Like I, I wanted to drop out of school like every semester. I was having what I would define as mental breakdowns where I would just be pretty much feeling incapacitated, mm. like wanting to quit everything because I just couldn't handle anything. I would have panic attacks quite frequently. My therapist was like, you know, you, you need to go on medications. Uh, and I, I refused to do that too. But definitely my master's program wasn't easier. It wasn't until I was about 23 years old and graduated school that I had a pretty decent aha moment that changed the trajectory of my life forever. 
Uh, I call it the moment in the mirror. Kind of sounds like a, uh, what was that? Lifetime. Is anyone remember that channel Lifetime where they would show all those cheesy movies? It's it's still there. Is yeah. it really? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have cable anymore, so I actually have no idea. But <laughs> it, it, I call it my moment in the mirror, which I feel yeah. like, all right, so if, if they ever make a movie, it's going to be on Lifetime probably because of that title. But <laughs> essentially. It sounds, it sounds like a Michael Jackson song, but, but keep explaining. <laughs> oh man that's great i love it good one chip so <laughs> essentially what that moment was for me was a moment where i was completely and utterly frustrated you see the interesting thing is thing about humans is that we don't change because something is great we change because our life is so crappy shitty and unbearable that literally the pain of staying the same is finally worse than the pain and hardship of changing your life because changing your life is hard. It's painful. It's not easy. That's why so many people don't do it. The reality is, if you really take enough time, though, to feel what you got to feel, you're going to be like, wow, this is not worth it. This is not better than putting in the work. And I think I was finally at that point. Because in this moment, I went into my parents' bathroom. Now, mind you, everything was going great. I just graduated. I'm 23 years old. I have a master's degree. I didn't know any other 23-year-olds that have a master's degree, not even in my school. Right. I had a Camaro. I had a really nice car. I had a hot girlfriend. I had two jobs, and I, I quit both of them because I was like, screw this. I'm taking time off because <laughs> I need to figure my stuff out, right? But I was extremely successful. You had all the trappings, yeah. Yeah, everything was great. Had a good body. I was working out. I mean, you know, th there wasn't a part in my life where you would look at and be like, this guy has something wrong. Right. But in my mind, everything was wrong. And I was so fed up because society tells you that's not how it's supposed to be. You have the car, you have the hot girl, you got the you got the career path, you're young, you have money. How why are you sad? There's no reason to be sad. You shouldn't even be sad. And it's like push down your problems because you shouldn't even be sad. It means you're ungrateful or you're lacking perspective or sure. whatever society wants to tell you. And so that frustrated me more. Because I, I had that playing in my mind. I'm like, I shouldn't even be sad right now. Why am I sad? But luckily from that frustration came that moment in the mirror where I get up, I go into my parents' bathroom. And funny enough, I would just contemplate things in there. I don't know why. Wasn't even <laughs> going to the bathroom. I just went in there. <laughs> okay, that's a separate podcast, but but please continue the story. <laughs> so I go in. <laughs> And I slammed my hands on the counter. Now, nobody was home. And, I, and you'll know why that's important in about a minute. Nobody okay. was home. And I slammed my hands on the counter. And I'm just like yelling at myself. And that's why it's important, right? Because my parents would have called a crazy train. But <laughs> essentially, I'm yelling at myself. I'm like, what's wrong? Like, why, why are you still so depressed? Why are you still so anxious? Why does life suck so much? Like, what... And then, it, and then it's almost like you're ungrateful or whatever. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm going through it. And I can't figure it out. And I, and I look up because I have my head down and I, I look up at myself and I'm like, oh man, I get it. You're Vincent. And that was the first time in about seven years that I actually said my own name, my actual name. But that was so significant because that was the moment I was finally willing to accept myself. That was the moment right. I was finally willing to take all the shit that happened in my life and just leave it there and just be like, it is what it is. And like this moment that I'm in right now is a result of all of that. And then whatever is going to happen in the future is a result of whatever I'm going to decide right here now in this moment too. 
And that was the moment that I had to make some really hard decisions. And the moment where I had to get really, really raw and honest with myself, where I had a, a follow, I had two follow-up conversations with myself, Chip. And I'll tell you what they were. The first one was okay. me being extremely honest about who I was in that moment, where I said to myself, I'm like, you're weak, you're depressed, you're uninspiring, people pity you, you can't handle life, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're sad. Like no one admires you. No one's inspired by you. There's there's nothing you could do. You can't lead anyone. You can't even help anyone. You can't help your damn self. And I said, is this who you want to be? And I was like, hell no. So then the next question was, okay, who do you want to be? Now, that seemed a little bit easier and it felt better too. Because I was like, oh, well, I want to be happy. I want to be loving. I want to be inspiring. I want to be a leader. I want to be strong. I want to be powerful. I want to be confident. I want to be, I want to be like, I want to be that guy that people are looking at me like, I don't know what it is, but he's got it. It sounds like what one of the things you focus on now, right? Which is a mindset shift. And you, you start asking yourself different questions and focusing on different things. Is that part of it? Yeah, a hundred percent. After I asked myself that question of like, who do you want to be? Then the next question seemingly flowed better too, because then the next question was pull out at least one of the things you said. And I was like, okay, I'm going to like, like, let's say confidence. All right. You want to be confident. What does that mean? Like, what does someone who's confident look like? What do they do? What do they say? How do they act? How do they treat others? How do others respond to them? How do they walk into a room? You, you could get so granular on the details of just one of those. Now, imagine if you did that for all 10 of the things I just said I wanted to do. Right. I did that. That's what I did. I said, I'm going to do all of these. And then I went granular on all of them and started just being them. Because the reality is you have to believe it before you become it. A lot of people get caught up and they're like, oh, imposter syndrome. I, yeah. you know, I'm saying I want to be confident, but I'm not confident. It's like, no, you're confident the moment you decide you're confident. A very good example that I might be able to give with this is like, for instance, you know, um, somebody who's looking to get fit. If you're 400 pounds, right? That's fine. Acknowledge that you're 400 pounds. Okay. Then do you want to continue being 400 pounds? And if the answer is no, what do you want to be like? Well, you know, I want to have this body type. I want to look like this. I want, I want this lifestyle. I want energy. I want vitality. I want health. I want my knees to stop hurting. I want to stop huffing and puffing going up the steps. <laughs> okay, great. You have a very powerful image of who you want to be, right? Now the next decision, because you've already decided you don't want to be 400 pounds, is to decide what do you want? And you just said, what do you want? Now you have to just do the things every single day that gets you there. And what we call that is that is you choosing a new identity. That is an identity shift. Because even though you're still 400 pounds, you just made the decision as if you're 130. And now you're going to take the actions that are going to coincide with that. You're going to form behaviors around that which means you're going to form habits around that, which means eventually the whole world will see you as someone who's fit when your body catches up to your mindset. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree with that, but I guess the only question, or maybe I don't want to call it a doubt because I've seen this work, but you know, it sounds easy. I do believe you have to create that vision, right? Know what you want to be and be really clear about that. Mm -hmm. And then that can lead to the actions, but how do you maintain or how do you create or maintain that motivation to take those actions? Is that where sometimes therapy or a coach or something like you can, um, somebody like you can be helpful because 
everybody doesn't have that same level of intrinsic motivation or it seems that way to me. I mean, if you want the reality of the answer, no, not really. I mean, nobody's going to help you. I can't help okay. you either. because the reality is, is that all motivation, first up, all motivation fades. Motivation is bullshit. And number two is that all change has to come from within. Okay. I can root you on all day. If you don't want to change, there's nothing I could do for you. However, the thing that a coach could assist you with is helping you feel and embody the identity. Okay. So what I mean by that is the reason that people change and, and you said it too, you said, I've seen it, but maybe the question is I've seen it, but I don't know how. <laughs> and so or I can't main, I can't maintain it. I may, I think I've made a lot of progress and had a lot of success in my life, but there's areas a lot of times where I feel stuck and then I get stuck in the story of, you know, I can't, I haven't all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So, but I mean, nobody stays motivated all the time, right? right. You just don't. Right. Cause motivation is a feeling and feelings fade. Every feeling fades. There's not one feeling that lasts or persists. Everything in life needs to either become an identity, a lifestyle, or something that's permanent. Like happiness, for instance. Let's talk about that for a second, and then we'll go yeah. right back to what we're okay. discussing. Happiness isn't a feeling. It's a state of being. The way you're happy is if your expectations for life match your reality. Like it's as simple as that. If you think you're supposed to be a millionaire and you're dirt poor, you're probably not happy. But if you believe that you're supposed to be dirt poor and you're dirt poor, you're going to be fine. And, and another part of it is doing things that serve happiness. Okay. So like if you like if you find happiness in hiking, you find happiness in working out, you find happiness in hanging out with your girlfriend, you find happiness in seeing your kid, you find happiness in, I don't know, playing video games. So that right there, I think I just listed the eight, eight things. Yeah. So now if you do eight things pretty much every day or weekly or at least monthly, right? Like you have a rotation of doing these things consistently. And the things that don't make you happy, like let's just say there's one or two things like your job. And your mother-in-law. <laughs> you go to your job every day, but you also have like six things you do every day that pour into your happiness. And then you see your mother-in-law once a month and you have the other things you do that continue to pour into your happiness, like the hiking, et cetera. You're going to find that you're going to be happier more often because you do things that are in alignment with happiness. Whereas if we swapped it and you did like nine things that are, make you unhappy and like two things that make you happy, you're probably going to live in a state of depression for the most part. And I would okay. guarantee that. So a lot of what I'm, and, and the reason I'm prefacing the, the previous conversation that we were just having with this is because everything comes down to feeling. So why people tend to fall off of a goal is that they didn't actually feel it or achieve it yet. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting research in, on the subconscious mind. For instance, the subconscious mind is always on, right? Subconscious mind influences 95% of everything we say, think, do, feel, and experience daily. We're on autopilot for 95% of our day. That's the average. So why is that so important to somebody who wants to hit a goal? Well, the reality is the subconscious mind cannot tell the difference between the reality that you're experiencing or the vision that you're casting. So if you've ever heard of visualization techniques, right. why they're not bullshit is because of the fact that you actually get your subconscious mind to feel the thing you're working towards in your future right here, right now in the present which okay. actually helps gear you up to work harder towards achieving that goal because you're actually living in it. So visualization is one of the best ways to actually keep yourself working towards a goal. So now, yes, maybe right now you're 400 pounds. You don't want to be, 
But what you do is you set a very clear vision in your mind. You actually okay. take time to do this. So now you sit there, you visualize yourself, like your goal weight's 130, let's just say. You visualize yourself at 130 and like really do it. Like your eyes closed, you're sitting here, you're visualizing. What do you look like at 130? Now, what do you feel? As you're feeling that, what are you experiencing? Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling happy? As you close your eyes and you visualize this version of yourself, smile, like actually smile physically so that you create that reaction and you feel it for real in your body, right? right. Then from there, continue to build this up. Like what's the clothes you're wearing? What would you do? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to talk to? How are you going to act? Build this amazing image in your subconscious mind that is so powerful. It keeps you aligned to that. Because why people are successful in the long-term is because they know how to keep the focus on what the long-term solution and outcome is, but they do it because they've already felt it. You see, the brain can't achieve anything it hasn't seen, felt, or experienced first. That's okay. where people get success from, not from the present. The success is from feeling the future and bringing it into the present so that you stay aligned to it. That's the secret. This is really interesting, and it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you focus on in, in your career and helping others. What I do, and I, I guess for me, what I would call it is I, I just I just call it a coaching practice. Okay. You know, kind of like how when I used to work as a therapist, there was a therapy practice. Now it's like a coaching practice. And, and you know what's funny? Uh, this is a little sidebar. The reason they call it a therapy practice is because of the fact that the practice of therapy is something that's ongoing with the client. Okay. That's like the fun. That's literally the fun fact of why they call it a practice. Okay. So, I mean, same, same diff here. That's why I call it a coaching practice. Cause it's like, we're just practicing coaching every day. So what makes me unique, different and potentially better? <laughs> I say potentially, cause somebody could still be way better than me anyway. Right. Um, but what makes me potentially better is that I use, like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast is a combination of three different modalities. Is a combination of therapy, mentoring, and coaching. Your typical person is really only going to embody one. If you go to a okay. therapist, they're probably not coaching you. If you talk to a mentor, they're definitely not doing therapy with you. And if you see a coach, they're also definitely not doing therapy with you. And they might do a little mentoring. So a lot of these, a lot of these guys that you might come or or gals that you might come across will typically stick with mostly one modality because that's how they're trained. That's what they know how to do. Okay. I've found that for people to achieve real and true transformation in their lives, I believe they need a hybrid. They need a holistic service that looks at them intensely. Now, a lot of coaches tend to have trouble with their clients. I've I've had conversations with closest I uh, coaches. I definitely offended one of them. He probably doesn't like me anymore because we, we were going to have another phone call and we just never did. And uh, I haven't heard from him since. And, and we were sitting there and we were talking and I was saying, you know, I was like, you know what I really don't like about coaches? And he's like, what? I mean, mind you, I'm a coach too, right? So I could talk about them. <laughs> I said, you know what I really don't like about coaches is I don't like that so many of them will just sit there with their client and they'll just take their money for not even being able to help them. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, you get to a point sometimes with clients and they'll just, they're just out of wall. And he's like, well, you know, we, we learned that in coaching school. Like sometimes that's just the process. You just sit there with the client and I'm like, okay, well, what I've learned about mental health and transformation is that perhaps you're just unequipped to help that person. And maybe you need to be ethical and honest and just be like, Hey, 
I can't help you anymore. I'm sorry. I think I've run my course with you. And maybe I haven't run my course with you. Maybe we could still have some great work, but I see you're stuck right here and there's nothing I could do to get you out of it. So perhaps you need somebody else, right? Like that would be the most ethical standpoint. And so I went on a little bit of a rant and then he was like, <laughs> all right, well, thanks, Vin. It was very insightful. I got to go. And then I haven't heard from him since. So, <laughs> but that is the truth. A lot of coaches don't know how to get a client over their biggest hurdles because the problem as to why a client isn't making forward progress is usually something from their past. Imagine, if you will, that somebody is chained to a wall, right? And the length, 10 feet of chain, perhaps, let's just give it a small a small amount. And now you're coaching that person and they're moving. They're at eight feet. They're doing good. You know, it's like, yeah, you're making the progress. Good, good. They're at nine feet. Boom, 10 feet. They hit the snag. And you're just like, come on, come on. If you want it, like you could do it. And it's like that 10 foot of chain. Yes, you were able to make some progress, but the chain is, is freaking stuck in that wall. And that wall is an issue from their past that they haven't resolved. You know how you're going to get them to move forward? You have to destroy the freaking wall or mm -hmm. you have to find a way to unshackle them from the chain. Either way, you still have to do something to their past, right? So a lot of coaches are unable to do that. And so they just sit there and they're just like, yeah, like you like, come on, let's, let's try and figure it out and blah, blah, blah. And the past doesn't matter. And, I, and I'm not speaking for every coach, but that is a lot of coaches, especially because they are aware that they are not qualified and should not go into the past. Because if you do and you hit someone's trauma response or something crazy that you're unprepared for, you could be in a very bad place. Like they could sue you. There could be a lot of ramifications. They could say this guy's playing therapy. Like you don't want any of those issues, right? So would a would a better response from that type of coach who doesn't have that be to say, you know, hey, I, I, I'm seeing these things come up. I, you know, this is something I really can't help you with. I, you know, I, I can maybe refer you, or you should go go check out some uh, resources, maybe in therapy or whatever. Is that a better way to approach that? Yes, you just, you just happen to have education, a training, and experience. In therapy, correct. right? As a therapist. Correct. Okay. So correct. you can and offer so, that. Correct. And okay. so my clients don't have to go anywhere. They're fine everywhere with me. Okay. I deal with everything. I deal with trauma. I deal with anxiety, depression. I deal with all the therapy issues. And I also do all the coaching things. Okay. And so, yes, if 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 a coach is running into those issues, it's not, and, and this might be a part of it too. It's not to say you're a bad coach. It's just to say in this specific That's, area, yeah. you're not great. And, and maybe you're not even supposed to go in that specific area. Like, yeah, you I know think part, part of being a good coach is realizing your limitations or what you have to offer versus where you need to draw a line and hand off to somebody else, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, listen, there's people who have come and they've worked with me and then they've they've leveled up and like they didn't need me anymore and they got a coach who was even further than I was, which is fine. And then there are people that came to me after they've been in therapy for 15 years and they were like, oh, this isn't helping me. It's like, okay, cool. Now you're leveling up from your therapist. Yeah. Right. So I think there's also multiple levels. There's coaches out there that are way better than me. There's coaches out there that are definitely worse than me. <laughs> I know I'm somewhere in between, just like all coaches, unless you're Tony Robbins, he's top of the top. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, there's going to be a spectrum. There's yeah. going to be coaches, bottom, middle, and top. Well, and, and some people just relate out. better to different types of individuals or styles, I think. But that too. You said something in our last interview that um, somebody forgot to hit record on that I thought was, that was really a good clarifier for me, which was 
tell me if I'm getting this right, but something along the lines of, you know, therapy can be very effective in helping you get in touch with your past, understand maybe some of your behaviors and and things that you're experiencing, but maybe where it has not been as effective is, and then once you know that information, what do I do to go forward? How do I get out of that? Um, And that's where more coaching can come in. I've had a lot of experience as a receiver of therapy and it's, it's been helpful. It's definitely helped me, but that has kind of been my experience that, you know, you get to this point of these revelations and understanding things and that's helpful and that can give you a little energy, but then the therapist isn't always, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to tell you what to do. They they want you to figure it out. Right. Because they're not, but sometimes you need people what to do. Yeah. But you need (laughs) a coach sometimes to, help you find your inner motivation or, you know, what, or I guess, why do you need a coach? Why, why does that part of your uh, service or business, why is that a plus? Well, it's actually, you, you hit it on the head with what you just said. It's because, so you have all this great understanding and this realization, but what the hell do you do with it? Like, do you know how many people will go to therapy and they'll be pissed off because of the fact that they know why they they know why they're doing the shit they're doing. They know yeah. that they're still struggling with the same thing and they don't know how to stop. And then the therapist continues to just turn it back on them. It's like, well, what do you think? It's like, what do you think you should do? do yeah. If I yeah. knew what to do, I wouldn't keep doing it. Right. It's yeah. like, that's where the coaching is my favorite part. Like I'm joking when I say I love telling people what to do, but I'm also kind of serious because the reality is this. You cannot change something in your mind right without having something else to replace it so a stupid example i use is like if if i just pick up a random thing on my desk for instance like like here like this okay so what is this well for those of you who can't see i'm holding up a erasable marker right but let's just say for all intents and purposes i'm going to tell you now chip this is not an erasable marker please tell me what it is You'd probably want to go back and just be like, it's an erasable marker, right? Yeah, what do you mean? It's, I would say, what do you mean it's not erased? It's obviously an erasable marker. Right. However, I, if I said, <laughs> right, exactly. And so, right. So imagine this is the therapy process. It's not an erasable marker. What is it? Well, you you have to tell me what it is. I can't uh, tell you what it is because I don't know. So what if I said, hey, Chip, this is not an erasable marker. It's a, it's a lead pencil. Now I ask you, hey, what is it? And you're going to tell me it's a lead pencil because okay. I gave you new information to utilize to start shifting your beliefs about the thing that you previously believed because the problem where people get stuck in their mind is because of their belief systems they have these beliefs that are no longer serving them and if they are still serving and it's not serving them positively you still want to change that but the problem is you still have the same level of information so the therapist that refused to give the clients any type of leeway and give answer i hate that by the way but I, I I absolutely hate that. Like, yes, you're supposed to have the client come up with their own introspective answers, but sometimes you need to give them information to help them shift their beliefs and their and their actions and start giving them new information so that they could utilize it because it doesn't make sense. We just got a few more minutes. I have a, a, a couple quick things I want to ask. One, you talked earlier quite a bit about visualization, and we're going to include a link to a free downloadable resource you have in that space. Give us a one minute description of that and why it's different from your typical visualization resource. Sure. I have a resource that I call it a mission board. We were just talking about before how it's important to have a clear, concise thing you're working towards, a very powerful visualization 
so that you right. can see, feel, and experience the things, right? Right. So my mission board aims to be extremely direct, processed, and focused, where it, it gives you a step-by-step on how to create it. It tells you what to do and why you should do it. There's also some, some actual like explanations in there. And if you create the mission board, it's going to be more powerful for helping you create an identity shift. Because here's the thing. In life, the point of a goal is not about the thing. So if you're like, hey, I want to become a millionaire. The point of a goal is not about attaining a million dollars. The point of a goal is about the evolution of you. It's about who you need to become to live out the lifestyle that makes you capable of making a million dollars. It's the process and the journey, right? Right. And and see, some people might call this manifestation because right. once you're the millionaire, this is where people say you bring the opportunities to you, right? Once you're the millionaire, you don't have to chase a million dollars. You you just have a million dollars. It has come to you because you've created it by becoming it. Okay. And so the aim of my mission board is to get you clear on like your identity shift, your mission, the things you're working towards, who you need to become every day. And then pairing that with another practice like journaling to set yourself up to break that down into, you know, monthly, weekly, daily goals that you're constantly working towards and measuring by that board and the goals you're aiming to attain. Awesome. I, I have downloaded it. It's a, it's a great resource. We will include a link to it in, in the show notes and on our website. So we just have one more minute and I have one more question for you. The cool. reason I started this podcast is really to kind of in, encourage, hopefully inspire people to feel uh, more comfortable or more at home in their living space, whatever that may be more connected in their community and more engaged in their relationship. Tell me what makes you feel most at home? Well, home, from my understanding, is uh, it's just feeling, you know, I, I've come to I, I heard it. It was a quote a long time ago, but now it's a belief of mine. It started as that quote, right? Home's not a place. It's a feeling. It's interesting because I think home constantly changes based on what's going on in your life. And right. for me, I would say the thing that now really makes me feel at home is uh, is my daughter. You know, I'm I'm a new dad. My daughter's uh, actually today, she's a year and a month old. The minute you have a kid, you want to be there. Like she's not here right now. I'm busy throughout the day, but I have a I have a little photo next to my desk with her on it, so I get to stare at that, and it's a big photo of her smiling. That's a great answer. Great answer. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you so much for agreeing to come back. This was a more enjoyable conversation for me. Thanks for what you do. And uh, thanks for um, taking some time to share it with us. Thanks for having me, Chip. It was great. In, you're right. Just like a fine wine. It <laughs> ate the second time better. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about Vin's coaching services and resources, check out his website at vincentinfante.life. That's V-I-N-C-E-N-T-I-N-F-A-N-T-E dot life. I'll include a link in the show notes and on our podcast website, homewhereyoubelong.com. I'm also including a direct link where you can download the free mission board template that Vin talked about during today's program. Check it out. It's a great resource. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed today's program, give us a rating and tell your friends about us. 
We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.